Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 246. Today's episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast is brought to you by the Positive Productivity Pod, created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success without burnout. The pod offers weekly group coaching sessions, online courses, a private member community, and tons more. To learn more about the pod and to sign up, visit PositiveProductivityPod.com. See you on the inside. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. I am thrilled also to introduce our guest, Scott Kimbrough from Scott Kimbrough Teaches, which is a coaching and consulting firm. Welcome, Scott. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Kim. It's an honor to be here. I love, and listeners, I've told you before, and I'll probably say it like a thousand more times in the future, that I do have every guest, whether or not I know them personally or not, fill out an intake form just, well, because it makes it a lot easier for me. And Scott, you said that you became an entrepreneur while you were still in elementary school. That is right. I I did the same way. Do you see that happening a lot throughout the entrepreneurial industry? Because I've seen it so much lately, and I thought I was one of a few. You know, Kim, I really do. Uh, I've had the privilege of being a, an entrepreneur in different ventures, as you mentioned, since elementary school. And by associating with a lot of other entrepreneurs as an adult, it's very interesting to see that, yes, I agree, a lot of their backstories include uh, they're getting started at a very early age. Now, some of them, like myself, had a, a father, either a father or a father figure, who's an entrepreneur. And I guess it was my effort as a young guy to kind of follow in dad's footsteps. Uh, there are other people that that wasn't their story at all. They just grew and associated with people who said, hey, having your own business is great. There are struggles, but you control a lot of your own life. And they decided to go that route. But more and more people I get around, a lot of them do have that backstory of starting at a very early age. I just wanted to buy snacks in the lunchroom. <laughs> so I became an entrepreneur. Well, I guess it's not really. Well, maybe it is. I started delivering newspapers at the age of 11. Okay. And I just used, which is probably not the best use of my money, but I used the spare change to make friends in the lunchroom by buying chips and ice cream and stuff. I've never admitted this on the podcast before. <laughs> But I remember people lining up. I'm so embarrassed to admit that now. Well, anyway, where has your journey taken you since then? Can you share more about your background with the listeners? Sure. Yeah, Kim, having gone from elementary school days, when I came, I went to college, got an accounting degree. Honestly, didn't even know what that was. Uh, I assumed it had to do with math. I found out as an early adult that it really doesn't. So uh, that being said, I went the job route for a while. But my first venture as an adult into being an entrepreneur was in the field of network marketing. I had uh, joined a business when I was 23, I believe it was, while still working with a CPA firm in downtown Nashville. My first uh, in-laws, I was married for 20 years, first time, and they were nice enough to tell me about this business. At the time, my father-in-law was the chief financial officer of a privately held, a publicly held company. So I just got into business because I thought he was a smart man and knew what he was doing. I had no clue how the business worked. And it was absolutely awful. Uh, I was really, really bad at it. 
Now, the fun part is that started me in personal development, Kim. Uh, that business was very much, until to this day, many years later, is very much into promoting personal development. It really got me into the daily habit of reading books, uh, listening back in those days, cassette tapes, um, and going to different events that were more somewhat motivational, inspirational, but also educational. And that, even though I left that business a couple years later, Kim, uh, I continued that on for the most part, even when I was not building that industry. I've been in that industry three different times, but I've also been a co-owner of one of Nashville, Tennessee's top 100 privately owned businesses. And so I've been, uh, had a degree of success both in the traditional business side and the network marketing side. Uh, and that's one thing that's kind of a little unique to me. I find most people who are successful in one uh, rarely venture out into the other or they struggle in it. And I've been blessed over time uh, and through a lot of hard work and effort and messing up and getting better to be successful in both sides. And nowadays, uh, technically, we are still a distributor for a company that we hit a level called Diamond Executive in a few years ago. Uh, we're not act actively building. My wife has her own business here in the home as a baker, has her own bakery business. And I now started doing this uh, speaking uh, business as a result of writing my book that came out back uh, last September. Oh, incredible. I would love to hear more about your book, but I do have a question before we jump to that. And I'm not trying to be controversial at all. I hope you know that I'm never trying to be controversial on the Positive Productivity Podcast. Scott, is there a difference between network marketing and MLM? Uh, depends on who you ask. And my opinion, there is not, but there's a bunch of different um, names. There's relationship marketing, multi-level marketing, direct marketing, direct sales, network marketing. As a general rule, most of those companies are set up very similarly, though there are some exceptions. Without boring with the details, let me suffice it to say that some are much more product focused and require the distributor to hold their own inventory and to tote it around and have little shows and, and sell things basically from their trunk or from their supply. Others are more centered around building teams of people and teach them how to use their own products and market the products and market some themselves and are more balanced. Uh, like, and you're right, yeah, hey, trust me, having been in that industry more than I've been out of it since 1982. I uh, fully understand the, the the thoughts that are out there about that industry. I tell people, look, you can go up to any financial planner representing Merrill Lynch, Edward Jones, any big company out there, and if they say anything bad about this industry, I look at them and say two words, Bernie Madoff, and they suddenly get the point. Every single industry, Kim, has had bad apples. And the unfortunate thing about the network marketing, multiple marketing side of, of the equation is that it's not necessarily there are more of them. It's just that they mess up more. They get more publicity. Um, and so I just simply say they're bad apples in all of them, but like in every business that's legit, um, if you do it right, uh, you can bless a lot of people's lives and become successful. Oh, absolutely. And I've seen good examples and bad examples. I've actually been in it three times myself. Mm -hmm. So one of those times was not my ideal just because with my first meeting, they actually asked me to take out my cell phone and give them all the phone numbers of all my contacts in there. So I could, so they could start making calls on my behalf. And I, wow, that was, uh, that was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. That was my first day and my last day in that one, because that did not feel good, good at all to me. Oh, that's smart. But I, yeah, but I, it's interesting to me though, that it's actually called network marketing because in a way all of in it, well, in my opinion, entrepreneurial life 
entrepreneur is networking is network marketing. It's through building our network, building our reputation, building the rapport that we are able to build our businesses. Absolutely. Scott, I'd love to hear more about your book. Would you mind sharing with the audience? Well, certainly. Uh, the name of the book is Submergency. And I was on a podcast just yesterday and a lady said, interesting name. Where'd that come from? And I said, well, you take the word submerge and you put the word urgency and you just kind of shove them together. So submergency basically means that we all have urgencies in our life, Kim. And I, in the book, I tell people there are three types of urgency. There is the obvious urgency. Hey, look, we cut our finger. We really need to go to the bathroom. We're going to figure out how to handle that situation immediately because it is an obvious urgency. The second one is an optional urgency. And the reason I started the book, Kim, was as a network marketing uh, experience. I was uh, meeting with a gentleman, a very short gentleman named Stephen. And simply put, he was all in, going to build this big, ready to get going. Uh, he ran out of time the day we met. We met a couple times, actually. And he said, let's meet this other day and get started. I said, fantastic. When I come back, Kim, he's all about excuses. I'm sorry, reasons. It depends on which other table you're on. But he went on to three long monologues about these different reasons why it wasn't the perfect time to get started. And after the third one, I just waited quietly and smiled and shook his hand and wished him well. He's a great guy. He made my bespoke suit here recently. He does his own clothing line now. But um, while I was going away to my car, I had this phrase hit my head. It was, it was like, okay, uh, Stephen just passed up an optional urgency. And actually, Kim, I just simply said, well, Lord, what does that mean? And as I drove home, I realized, well, there are obvious urgencies and there are these optional urgencies, one where if Stephen, Stephen had an option to follow through with what he said he wanted to do and actually get in business and build it big. And had he done that and built it with a sense of urgency, I think he could have made a lot of money, made a lot of friends and helped a lot of people. But that was an option he passed up, which is fine. But as I was putting some of this, just write down some notes, I've never been an author before. I just, well, maybe one day I'll write a book on it. I wrote down some notes. And then all of a sudden it hit me, wait a minute. There's a third type of urgency. Oh, gosh, this is this is not a good one to talk about. This is a little painful. Those are the urgencies we have in life, Kim, that are buried. They're submerged. And here's a, here's a bad thing. We're the ones who put them there. Examples. Well, you know, I really need to lose some weight, but I'll do that later. Well, you know, I really need to cut back on my carbs. I really need to quit watching late night TV. I need to blah, blah, blah. And I read years ago in some book that said, you know, your subconscious mind is an interesting thing. It will, if you say to yourself, even out loud, I need to lose some weight, your subconscious mind will go, you know what? You sure do. But it doesn't create any action. It simply agrees with you. And so when we bury things there, they stay there until, number one, we know that they, we find out they're there. That's one of the reasons for our book is to educate people what a submergency is, how to go find it again, because sometimes we kind of conveniently forget that we put it there, dig them up, clean them off so we can subtitle the book, learn how to live and die without regret. So that's kind of the whole thing. It deals with urgencies, but it's also centered around the area of how to avoid regret or move past regret, how to deal with fear, procrastination, worry, things like that. Wow. And I can see that those buried urgencies can feed so much into the second tier or even to the, what was the urgent emergent, the, the top tier? Like you. Yeah. The, the obvious. And the, the obvious. obvious 
yeah, you, yeah, you bury your need to take care of your health and all of a sudden you're in the ER because you've had a heart attack because you've buried the urgency to watch your diet and exercise and all of that. But also you could be ignoring your finances. So that leads to the middle and you start procrastinating because it was once right time, but now you don't have the money, but you're just not going to talk about it or you're just going to make excuses and you just... Oh my gosh, you've struck so many chords with me because I have seen all three. Actually, I'm. It, do you do you think I was going to say something, but it turned into a question? Do people tend to deal with all three, or do you see high achievers dealing with one category more than the other two? That's a great question, Kim. Um, I think by human nature, we all deal with obvious urgencies because we don't have a choice. I mean, I think pretty much everybody, unless they have some medical or emotional condition, have enough common sense to realize if I cut my finger really badly, I've got to do something about it now or I can bleed out and die. Uh, if I really go to the bathroom, I'm going to figure out how. Somehow or another, it's going to happen because I know if I don't, a lot of bad things could happen. So I think the obvious ones, pretty much everybody does. They know they're there and they deal with them on a daily basis. The optional and the submergency, Kim, I think most people don't realize that they're there. Uh, I think in my book, I mentioned the fact that the optional urgency, to me, it, it's kind of overstated, but, you know, pretty much every choice you have in life is basically an optional urgency. You get to choose whether to do something or not. And if you're going to do it, are you going to build it? Or are you going to do that thing with them bigger, all you've got, or you just kind of do it half-hearted? And so those are all optional ones, but the emergencies, you're right, the, the, the ones who achieve the highest level somehow know that they're there. They well, first of all, what they, the highest achievers, what they do, Kim, is they realize they're heading down the wrong road and they stop and they get help and they say, hey, this isn't right. Let's reverse field. Personal story. Years ago, um, I was, this came out of nowhere. My life was okay. I was back at Kimberola, kind of the family business. Second time, I was chief operating officer. And um, all of a sudden, in a magic meeting one day, one of my siblings said something and I just snapped. And that's not like me at all. I mean, I I said something I shouldn't have said and ran up the door and slammed the door, went back to my office. And about halfway to the office, I'm like, what in the world just happened? And then it happened again. And then it happened one time at home. And my sweet, lovely wife said, guess what, honey? That doesn't work here. You need some help. And I said, you know what? You're right, I do. And so I sought counseling. And I was put on antidepressant medication for a, a condition called dysthymia. And uh, the good news is, over time, I was able to get off that. And so people who want to live without regret figure out quicker than those who don't um, that, you know what, I need to stop. I need to change course and do it now. Once again, it goes back to the subject matter of the book. I need to, It's urgent matter. I need to do it now. I don't need to do it later. I don't need to work on my marriage uh, once I have enough money to go to marriage counseling. I don't need to wait until I become a diabetic to lose weight. They realize the potential disaster coming down the road and they stop and they make the changes as soon as possible with the proper help, with the proper counsel. That is so huge. I feel like you know exactly what's what's on my bookshelf right now. Yeah. By the way, I'd love to add your book to my bookshelf and read the whole thing. I'm reading High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard right now. And he talks about the habits that high performers have imagine that and uh the second habit that he talks about is generate energy but he made me open my eyes to the fact that 
by going out and exercising, trust me, exercise is not my favorite at all. I'm actually going to have more energy in the day, but I hadn't really thought about all the reasons. I know it's important to watch my diet and to and to exercise and take care of my health, but I was just letting it sit there. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, the sub the sub urgency. I shouldn't feel like I'm 80 years old when I stand up. I shouldn't be winded. I mean, I'm not overweight or anything, but just because I hadn't been putting that attention on myself and taking care of my physical health, that's where it's gotten into. Listeners, I am signing up for a gym membership today, actually. Okay. It's on my calendar for right after this interview. Congratulations. I'm actually dressed to go walking after this. So <laughs> Great minds. Yeah, I think it scared my husband a little bit because I told him I'll be getting up at 5, 5.30 every morning. He's like, don't wake the kids. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Who have been some of your mentors and what, what are some of the best books that you've read throughout your personal and professional oh, God. growth that's, journey? That's a great question, Kim. And it's interesting that you asked because uh, as you were talking there a minute ago, I actually glance up. I'm sitting in my office surrounded by hundreds of books that I've read through the years. And it's hard to you know, pick a just a few, but I'll just, in no particular order except for one, I'll simply say that as a Christian, the Bible is where I get a lot of my wisdom from. Uh, I tell people all the time, even if you're not a Christian, you know what you ought to do? Check out the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs. It is absolutely chock full of wisdom, common sense to use in your life. Um, so that, that's a big thing there. Beyond that, um, there's so many, I'd say, Obviously, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think it's probably the number one personal development book of all time, my personal opinion. Uh, in no particular order, there's Think and Grow Rich. There's As a Man Think of. Uh, uh, anything from Reverend Robert Schuler. I loved his different things. He had a book years ago called Peak to Peak uh, that really spoke to me about goal setting. And it's funny is Peak to Peak, it's P-E-A-K to P-E-E-K. And his play on words is the idea is that you climb a mountain, you set a goal, and you work toward climbing that mountain, that peak. And once you get to the top, then you can, with your eyes, P-E-E-K, the next P-E-A-K. And so he takes wow. a, a journey of you know setting smaller goals. You can get the bigger ones instead of saying, I'm starting at zero, and I want to be a millionaire by tomorrow. And you lose all focus and energy because it's not realistic. But anything by him, self-love is another one of his good books. Um uh, oh gosh, there's some, I'm trying to think. Um, now this is interesting. I'll give you a, a couple of them that sound like they're connected, but they're not. In 1926, if I remember correctly, the book The Go Getter was written. It's very short, it's more like a pamphlet, it's about 80, 90 pages, if I remember correctly, Kim. And then, gosh, maybe about I don't know, five, eight, ten years ago, The Go Giver was written. I think Bob Berg and Howard Mann, I think the names, the co-authors. But it's interesting. You think, gosh, Go Giver, Go Getter, they must be related. Well, they're not exactly opposite. But they both have value. Uh, most of us, probably, most of your listeners on the line have heard of the phrase, hey, that guy, that gal is a real go-getter. Well, that came originally from that book. And it's the story of a gentleman who uh, got hired on with the company during a really hard time and was asked by the owner to do this one little thing. And all the things he had to do to make it happen. And the, the premise of the book is you got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. I'll, I'll leave your listeners with a twist here, though you'll be blown away by the ending. It's not what you think. It's one of those when you really go, oh, no way. So I think it'd be great. And the Go-Giver, I was a part of an organization called BNI. You may be familiar with it, Business Networking International. And those groups all over the country, all over the world now, uh, Kim, they're in the mid-80s, I think, are all about having one person per occupation per chapter. 
uh, like when I've been different chapters, uh, different uh, chambers in the, in the past, uh, there may be 28 bankers in that chamber meeting. Well, at BNI meetings, there'd be one commercial banker. There'd be one property and casualty insurance guy. And so, um, but, uh, but their whole philosophy is actually giver's gain. And it's just that whole mindset of, you're right, Cam, in any business, when you are focused on serving others, when you're about helping other people first, like oh, Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, help other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. So once again, authors, anything by Zig Ziglar. So I'm much more about, I, I can give you different books title, but I'm real more about authors because there's a, there's a theme because even authors grow over time. Um, Andy Andrews, I highly recommend things from him, especially the Tra Traveler's Gift and the companion book on that, The Final Summit. I actually reference uh, The Final Summit in my book. Um, so, which by the way, when I first learned of Andy Andrews, never heard of him, never saw him. He actually was in a company magazine in my second venture in network marketing, he hit a certain level of business called Emerald. Uh, and I was like, who's this guy? A Christian comedian. He writes books. And that, this, we're probably talking about 1990 or 1992. And then you, many years later, I'm reading some of his work and just love it. So, uh, but th that's just a, a few to start with right there. You are not helping my Amazon wish list at all. <laughs> Good. I, maybe they'll pay me something for that. <laughs> yes. Well, I actually just last night made my 2018 reading list because I have had a bad habit in the past of reading multiple books at a time, mm -hmm. but I'm determined this year to read one at a time and make significant or progress through the year in terms of books and personal and professional development. Yeah. And yeah, a few that you mentioned, I'm surprised that I haven't read them yet and they're not on my list, but that doesn't mean they're not on my bookshelf. Okay. Scott, I can't, you said you were looking around to your office and you've got loads and loads of books. I'm the same way. I have shelves full of books that I just haven't touched because people will talk about it, but I've decided this year is the year that I don't buy anything new until I've, until I've already read what I've got. How many books do you tend to read at one time? Well, it's funny you should ask because for years, uh, how about say ditto to what you just said? I would start a book and then none but get promoted to me as well. I'm glad that this book, oh, that's more interesting. And I'd be in multiple books at a time. And then I, same process you're talking about. No, sit down, focus on one book. Until about two and a half years ago, there's a gentleman uh, who was the uh, national training director for a note marketing company that I was with at the time. And he did some training. He said, how many of y'all read? And everybody raised their hand. How many of y'all read one book at a time? Everybody raised their hand. He said, let me challenge you to something. He said, I did that too for years. And here's what I found out. Your brain can handle more than one thing at a time, as long as it's not bombarded. He said, I would recommend that you read, let's say, a personal development book, but also read a history book, read an autobiography, read something that's entirely different than personal development while you're also working way through the personal development book. He says, what happens is, because when you read, it, it actually helps you compound the effect. It's almost like one plus one is 11, not two. He said, there's something that it activates this part of the brain over here that deals with personal development. And then over here, when you read this other part, that's not about personal development, it actually helps connect some dots. It, it, it helps you grow in more than one way at a time. He said, but I would limit it to two because like you say, can you get, you know, 17 different books going, you're not making headway anywhere, just shotgunning. But he really challenged all of us there. And it's the first time I've ever heard it to be in more than one book at a time. Uh, and I found that challenging, but I, when I when I sit down and focus on it, I can get it done. It's just simply a matter of sometimes remembering where to put the book, so, because I like to keep them together when I can. 
Yeah, that's that tends to be why I've been in multiple books at a time. My littles, I have five kids, Scott, and my youngest three are three-year-old twins and a four-year-old. They like to walk off with mom stuff. <laughs> Sounds like fun. So, yeah. So all of a sudden, the book that I was just reading has disappeared and things don't just disappear in my house, but they get hidden. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, been so many times, and I know this is deviating off the subject of books, but there's so many times that they've actually hidden their shoes <laughs> in like in the trunk of their tricycle that is in the house. And we don't think to look in there or in their kitchen. We've, we've gotten smart to their ways. We start to look where they could have hidden things, but the same's happened to my books, which is why I've, why I'd gotten into the habit of reading multiple at the same time. Listeners, if you know of a way to stop that, I would love to, because I can't tie everything to me. It's hard enough to know where my keys are. (laughs) Do you have any daily habits that you follow yourself? I do have quite a few, Kim, and it helped me. Now, granted, I'm an analytical type, accounting type guy anyway, but uh, where I do some teaching with people, I attempt at least help get people who are more creative to, to focus on a routine as well to some degree. Um, and I'll run sharing you my personal story um, where we are right now. We have, uh, I may have mentioned this before, I was married before for 20 years. From that marriage, I have uh, in May be a 33-year-old daughter and 30-year-old son. Uh, but been remarried for 18 years now, and we've had three children together, a little boy who passed away at birth in 2001, shortly after 9-11, uh, and then two healthy girls. So our girls are now 14 and a half and 13. And so what we do is we set the alarm clock for 30 minutes before my wife and I do for 30 minutes before the girls get up. And we always start each morning with a devotional, a couple's devotional, and we pray together as a couple. We go downstairs, get some stuff set up for the girls. They come down, have some breakfast, go back up. And at that time, I'm going through, I'm reading a chapter of the Bible, I'm praying, I do some reading, I check emails, different things like that. And then when they come back downstairs dressed, then at a certain time, we come together, all four of us, and we do a, a the same devotional, but it's based on children. And um, one of them reads the devotion, it's only a page long, and the other one reads the Bible verses. We pray together as a family. We find that for us, that really sets the tone of the day, five days a week. Every day they go to school. We're doing the same routine at the same time, and it's really helped them in their faith walk and it helped them to be uh, stronger uh, ladies in uh, middle and high school. Uh, so we love that. And then, of course, once they're gone, I come back, and I always drive them to school. don't have to, but that's my preference. When I come back, um, after having a little bit of breakfast, and I'm heading out to, to walk in most days. And I'll walk about three miles most days. And so I'll be 59 here in a few days and no medication. Uh, I'm, gosh, about 25 pounds lighter than I used to be at my height, uh, my peak weight. And we just find that that really works really well. And then on a personal level, as far as the, the, the calendar, uh, each day, I kind of, even though I do business out of my home, I like the idea of around five o'clock calling you today where I can. And I will actually make sure the last thing to do is to look at the next day's calendar and put things on there in priority order. The old Franklin Planner, Franklin Covey, Covey Planner now, ABC, and numbers assigned to it. So the next day when I go in there, I see a prioritized list of what to do. And I start with A1 and work my way down. Thank you for sharing all of that. I love the thought of morning devotionals with my family. We have not done that. And I'm definitely going to have to talk to my husband about both as a couple and as the whole family. So thank you. Yeah, my faith is very important to me as well. Actually, right on my monitor, I have Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing good because in time, we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. You got it. I love it. 
I want to go back to your book just for a second, because I love the fact that you said that at five o'clock, you know, you wrap up your day for the entrepreneurs who are really in growth mode and startup mode and are trying to get to the point where they're financially stable, which is where a lot of listeners are. There comes the optional urgency. They can close up shop at five o'clock or they can keep on going and push a little bit harder. Uh, Could you offer any thoughts about that? Yes. Thank you, Kim. Um, it's a hard one. I actually address the what I call the work-life balance in my book, um, not as far as giving you the solution, just to say that we've been dealing with that. I actually quote a Yiddish poem, a Yiddish song from 1897. I first read Reader's Digest years and years ago. And the same thing, talking about dad working all day and coming home and seeing his little baby boy whisper, where's, where's Papa in his sleep. And we've been dealing with this whole work-life work life balance thing for over a century. And what I tell people is this, if you're in the growth mode and you're not financially stable at this point where you want to be, then you're going to make some choices. And that's kind of the big point of my book, too, is you need to decide where are my priorities? What am I going to do? And then here's another big tip. Don't do it in a vacuum. Success doesn't happen in a vacuum. Involve other people. If you're married, by all means, involve your spouse in this conversation. Uh, When you have kids. I remember when our kids were little, we were, I was having a job and I was building a network marketing business at the same time. There were many times I wasn't here. And we pulled the kids aside before we ever did that said, look, mommy and daddy are going to have this business and it's be exciting. We'll involve you where we can. But there were times when we're going to not be here and there'll be some scissors involved. And, and then later my wife was here and I'd be gone. So we involved everybody. We decided together, yes, this was something we wanted to do together. And based on the results, they, we'd have rewards, including taking kids to Disney cruises or stuff like that. So all that to say, it, it, it comes down to the word is think. And I don't say that flippantly. Kim, I find that most adults that I know that I've seen over my last almost 60 years on this planet never sit down on purpose and think with no distractions, cell phone off, TV off, Netflix off, dogs put away, babies in bed, whatever, and just think. I actually got up at four o'clock in the morning, five days a week when I was running the family oil business in Nashville, not because I had to, it didn't take me two and a half hours to get ready and go to Nashville. Uh, but I, that included in that time, time to sit down and think a great reference of everybody. And it's, it's really old Earl Nightingale lead the field in there. He talks about the strangest secret and what he called the strangest secret is the fact that we become what we think about all the time. The challenge, Kim, is that most people nowadays don't ever think. They go through the motions. Everything is hurry, 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 rush, rush, rush. I'm late, I'm late. Uh, and they get nothing done. End of the day, end of their life, they're full of regret and bitterness because they never did what they wanted to do. Had they simply sat, sat down, taken time to think, made a plan, not in a vacuum, but people who can help them. And when you do that, hopefully you can get to the point where, yeah, five o'clock, you can shut things down and be with your family the whole time. Mm, that was so rich. Invaluable. Thank you so much. Do you journal, Scott? I used to for years and years. I have not recently. I find it really hard with all the kids, all the animals around here to find, well, I'm just going to call it a vacuum. You know, we have to get out of the vacuum, but to find that quiet vacuum that I can think in in silence. But I've started either at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it is the most quiet. That's the best way I can say it is to start journaling. And for the longest time, I was so focused on income goals and listeners have heard me talk about how I've made the shift from being focused on 
come to impact. And that has made such the shift because now I'm journaling on a daily basis what I'm grateful for and what I see going good the next day. And I've, I actually threw out, I was organizing my desk this weekend. And as an accountant, this might hurt your brain a little bit, or as a previous accountant, I actually threw out all the spreadsheets that I've had made. And for some reason was still just keeping on my desk of, if this happens, this will be my income for this month. And if it keeps on growing, this will be what it is for the next month. Because I just realized that I was not approaching my business in the way that I really wanted to. And I'm not saying that that's ideal for everybody. It's good to know where we want our income goals to go. But I realized that I was working more towards that than to actually getting out there and networking, which wraps right back around to network marketing, just in a different sense of the word. I think you're very wise to do that, Kim. Um, Honestly, it's kind of scary almost how how similar we are. Uh, I did the same thing about two weeks ago, not to say spreadsheets, but going down and cleaning out, clearing out stuff in the dining room where sometimes because my quasi office of stuff I've had for years, uh, meetings from events from eight years ago, things like that. Why am I holding this junk? Um, it's not applicable anymore. It's out of date. And so I went through and there's, there's a lot to be said about from time to time cleaning things up and you get rid of that clutter. And especially in your case, Ken, where you switch from income to impact influence. Why? No reason to keep that. And so it's wise to do that. And one little side note before I forget, you mentioned about having a hard time finding a quiet five kids. I can get that. That's why I got up at four o'clock. It wasn't because I really want to watch the sports center at theme out of five, though I did that while I was eating. Uh, but it's because that's the only time I found with at that time we had a, a three-year-old and a five, whatever it was, two little kids. And in order for me to have that time to think and to pray and to walk, do things I needed to do. I, here's what I did. I set my alarm clock back. And as common sense as that sounds, you'll find most adults never think about it. Well, Scott, I don't have time. You ever think about setting your long clock for earlier? Uh, no, I can't do that. Why not? Well, uh, I need to sleep. You know what? You probably find this out, Kim. When you get up earlier, you may miss it a day or two after that. It's just routine. And only that, when you're up by yourself, with yourself and God, there's something special about that time, especially since that you sacrifice to make it happen. I truly believe that people do that, they'll be blessed. Wow. Well, I told you I was going to, I am going to go join the gym today. I think you might have actually just shifted my morning schedule a little bit mm-hmm. because I already am going to be getting up earlier. Mm-hmm. To be totally honest, I'm not using an alarm at all this, at all right now. I just usually wake up between six and six thirty, which does give me an hour before the littles wake up. Yeah. But so it will be an hour earlier. But if I do just take that half hour, actually, that will prevent me from necessarily making the kids stir then and think and and read my Bible, which is I actually this is so embarrassing to admit. I actually just found it last night because that was one of the books that they had walked off with. They they walked off with my Bible. Now they're hungry for the word. What can you say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But on a funny side note, last night we had a thunderstorm here in Ohio. It is January when we're recording this, listeners, and they were scared. So we actually, I told them that it's God bowling, and every time it thunders, we need to shout, yay, God. So at 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night, they're still in their bedroom yelling, yay, God, every time it thundered. <laughs> I love that, Yeah, That's a great story. I like that. Yeah, I was on the other side of the house in my office, which I understand the overflow from your office down to your dining room. My office was supposed to be my office when we bought this house. We were not planning on having the twins, 
but God has his own sense of humor and gave them to us when we said we were finished. And so I'm looking around. I've got it's office slash playroom, but it's not supposed to be playroom. But there's that clutter that ends up causing emotional clutter when it's not taken care of. Wow. Did I just like put 18 different thoughts into one a spoken paragraph right there. Positive productivity does not mean I stay on one on one path of thought. But anyway, going back to what I was initially saying, yeah, I think I'm going to, no, I don't think, I know I'm going to wake up earlier, take that quiet time and then go to the gym. And that will be a great way to start my morning. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. So what are you working on right now, Scott? Well, the biggest thing I'm doing right now, Kim, is a combination of two things. It's um, I've just started with an agency in the speaking world, and so I'm getting my word out there. Just joined the National Speaker Association in the last few days. So I'm, I'm cutting my teeth in that I've been doing speaking gigs, so to speak, and been on stages since 1982 off and on to as, as many as 10,000 people, but never as a professional speaker. So I'm going in that direction. And then secondly, what I'm just starting on, and honestly, I don't even have the, I've done the form, but I don't even have it on the computer yet. My friend next door neighbor hasn't gotten to it yet. But what I want to tell people is, you know, if they're wanting to ever go deeper in this concept of urgency and life balance and things like that, fear, procrastination, all the things that kind of jam us up, um, I'm going to put a questionnaire on my website. And for now, if somebody wants to go there, they can just say contact me and give me their email. I'm going to get it done. I'll send it to them. But the whole thing on that is that if they want to you know, go deeper and learn more and kind of do some assessment of how how they're doing and where they need help, uh, I want to offer to any of your listeners here 30 minutes free of, of coaching. And just kind of just kind of bounce things off each other, see if I can be of some help to them. And that may be all they need to point them in the right direction. Fabulous. And where can they go to contact you? My website's pretty simple. It is scottkimbroteaches.com. And I'll spell it for everybody. That is S-C-O-T-T-K-I-M-B-R-O-teaches.com. And on there, they can, like I say, just go to the contact me page and leave an email. And hopefully the next two or three days, my friend Andrew will get the form up on site. And they can just click on the tab that says questionnaire and send it back to me. And we can go from there. Fabulous. Listeners, if you're driving or if you're at the gym and you can't write this down right now, you can go to the show notes page, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP246. Scott, this has been an amazing chat. Thank you so much for joining me on the Positive Productivity Podcast. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be here, Kim. You're welcome. Do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I do, and I'll give you the choice. I have two quotes here. They both have value, but without even knowing what they are, would you like to hear something from Viktor Frankl or something from George Bernard Shaw? Viktor Frankl, please. In uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl said this, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And I'm telling you, positive productivity only happens when you choose to be positive, Kim, so I thought it was a perfect way to, uh, to put a cap on this.